0: Job chapter number one this evening, you know, uh, when we stop and think, I was pondering as I was sitting there listening to the song being played, thinking about we so often talk about the Lord is coming back. We know that is a truth. That is not a speculation. That is not a quirk of theology or sectarianism, but that is a biblical truth that the Lord is returning. We say often that, uh, that, you know, I wonder what the Lord would find at our house if He was to come back at this moment. I wonder what kind of movies, what kind of magazines, what kind of language, what kind of things the Lord might find if He was to come to our house and to come right now and to come unexpectedly. But, you know, you stop and think about it. We know the Lord is returning. We know that in a sense the Lord is always there. He's omnipresent. But when we look at the book of Job, we don't find an occasion when the Lord visits the house of Job, at least not in chapter 1. But I think we have an occasion that is probably a lot more common in our homes today. And that is that Satan comes by the house of Job, and there are some things that he finds. I wonder what Satan would find at our house. You see, he wouldn't be looking for the same things that the Lord would be looking for. And if he was to come to our house, I wonder if he would find an open door to be able to have an influence over our families. I wonder if maybe he would find some things in our homes that would give glory to him. I wonder if maybe he'd find some words that uh, allowed him an opportunity to sow bitterness in our hearts and in our lives. I just wonder what the devil might find if he came by our house. When we look at Job's house, and when I say house, I don't necessarily mean the four walls that comprise the the building that you sleep in each night or the roof that's over your head. But what I mean is our life and our daily life and what it consists of. There comes a day in Job's life where the devil comes by his way and there are some things that he's looking for that he doesn't find. And there are some things that he's not looking for that he does find at Job's house. Let me say, I believe we'd be the better tonight if we could just give the devil a black eye in our lives, don't you? I believe it'd be good if there were some things he came looking for that he couldn't find, but I believe there are some things that if we have in our house, he may not be looking for, and and they might not be too pleasant to him if he was to find them in our house. And I want you to carry that thought with you as we preach tonight. Let's begin reading at verse number 6. The Word of God says this, "...now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord, and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man?" one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time you've given us. I pray now, Lord, that you would give life and give power to the words that are preached and spoken tonight. Lord, that you would take these truths and thoughts... And that from my feeble lips and broken words, Lord, that your spirit would sing a song to our souls. And you'd deal deeply with us and who we are in a very personal way. Now, Lord, we're trusting you to do this because we've counted you faithful. We know, Lord, that you keep your promises. And, Lord, we know that you're able to do these things and you have a desire to do this tonight, Lord. We've come because we believe you want to deal with us. So, Lord, I pray in faith and confidence that you would accomplish this in our hearts and lives. And I do ask it in that name which is above every name, in the name of Christ, my Lord and Savior. Amen. As Satan comes to the house of Job, he finds four things that present a problem to him. You know, we're all going to have times when we are under satanic oppression in our lives. If you don't want to believe that, that's fine but you're in direct disobedience of the Word of God, because God said for us to be sober and to be vigilant. Why? Because our adversary, the devil, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. There is a spiritual warfare. There is a mystery of iniquity. There is a devil. He is not just a personification of evil, but he is a persona of evil. He is a person and an individual And He has a very distinct and deliberate will for your life and mine. Now, the longer we're ignorant of that, the longer we are His prey and we are susceptible to His attacks in our life. But the sooner that we acknowledge that, the sooner that we, as Peter exhorted, are sober, meaning that we are aware of His plan in our lives, and vigilant, meaning we are watchful for what Satan is trying to do, then the sooner we'll be able to have victory and the sooner our spiritual walk will be able to thrive and be for the glory of God. Satan comes by Job's house and there are a few things that he wants to do, and we'll sort of touch on them a little later in the message. But he runs into something that he does not expect, or maybe he did expect it. I don't know. I don't know if Satan knew and understood that things would go this way. But I've got four things I want to mention to you tonight, and I'll try to preach quickly this evening. On Wednesday night, you've got to preach quickly. Somebody say amen to that. I want you to notice that the first thing that Satan finds is he finds a hedge that he could not Penetrate. Before he can go any further in the life of Job, Satan has a desire to come and we're going to see what he wanted to do. Let me say this, that what Satan wanted to do was not kill his children, was not uh, kill his livestock, was not kill his servants. That was the way that Satan tried to accomplish what he wanted. But those things were secondary. Let me say this, that the Lord was able to give every bit of that right back to Job. Somebody say amen to that. If that's all Satan was trying to do, he's not very smart in what he's trying to do. But there was something else that Satan was after. And he comes to Job's house and he wants to have an influence and a power in Job's life. Now, you and I, we know the book of Job. I'd say just about everybody here, we've read the book of Job. We've heard it preached on. We know how the story goes. Uh, But at this moment, Job is totally unaware of what is going on in his life. You know, you and I, we have the benefit of the first two chapters of the book of Job. Job didn't have the benefit of the first two chapters of the book of Job. Job is going about his business. He's loving God. He's serving God. He's worshiping God. He's trying to live for God in a day when it was probably not even as easy as it is today. And in the midst of that situation, he catches Satan's attention, and Satan seeks to destroy his life, to destroy his testimony, to destroy his love for God. But before Satan can ever lay a finger upon Job's life, there is something that must happen first. Look again at verses ten and or verse number eight. It says, "And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil?" Then Satan answered the Lord and said, "Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made about uh, made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands." and his substance is increased in the land. Before Satan could ever lay a finger upon Job's life, he had to first acknowledge and ask the permission of God concerning a barrier, a boundary, a protective wall that God had placed around his life. Now, there's a lot of things we can learn from that. There's some folks that read that and they think to themselves, well, that's good, nothing can ever hurt me. Well, that's not the way it turned out for Job. Somebody say amen to that. But what it does tell me is this. That the things that I have in my life, I only have because God has allowed it. Whatever you have, if you have health, I mean, if you were able under your own volition to get in a car and drive here tonight, it's because God allowed it. If you had the food in your belly to be able to get here, and maybe you don't, we'll see if they start to growl after a little while, but food enough to get here and and feel good, then God allowed that to take place. Now you say, Preacher, I understand all that. I mean, you're not telling me anything that I don't know. No, but I'm reminding you of some things that you're prone to forget. Because as we go through life, it gets very easy to look at the things in our life and see them as the product of the work of our hands. But the reality is, if we've got a job to earn that paycheck, it's because God has allowed it. If we've got health and a mind to be able to live and to function, it's because God has allowed it. The sooner that we learn that every good thing cometh from above from the Father of lights, the sooner that we'll be the better for it. I know lots of folks that are running a rat race trying to make everything work, and they don't realize that there's a God sits on the throne of heaven in the circle of the earth, and that God is sensitive to and is prone to listen to our needs and cares about what's going on in our lives. The sooner you realize that the reason you have anything is God allowed it, then the sooner you'll realize that you'll only ever have anything because God allows. He realizes there's this hedge about Job, but then it reminds us of this truth, that anything that entered into Job's life could only do so by the permission of God. There's nothing that happens in the life of the believer but what God knows about it. That doesn't mean that God wants it for them. Sometimes things enter our life because we have allowed something to enter in that God would not have wanted us to. But God, uh, in His giving us a free will, He has allowed us to make choices in our life. But let me tell you something. My free will, I want you to listen carefully. God's sovereignty does not circumvent my free will. And my free will does not circumvent God's sovereignty. God is in control of every situation, regardless of what it may be. God is so in control that He's not afraid to give me a choice. And God has given me such a choice that He'll not interfere with it, except we choose and we make that decision. You say, that's bigger than my mind can handle. Well, mine too. Somebody say amen to that. But I see it clear as day in Scripture. Uh, Everything that happens, the Lord has a hand in every bit of it, but still man's actions uh, sway things and work things and move things and change things. What does that mean to me, preachers? I sit here tonight. It means this, that anything that has entered your life that you have not intentionally brought in, it only has entered because God has allowed it. I'm reminded of what the Word of God says in First Peter when it says, uh, directly after, by the way, speaking of Satan's uh, influence that he seeks to have in our life, it says to humble ourselves under the hand of God. Thereby implying this, that anything that reaches us must go through his hands, through his fingers, through his heart, before it can ever reach our life. Why did Job have this? Well, I'm, I, this isn't my message, but I just want to give you these real... Real quick, number one, because of Job's standing, the Bible says this, that he was a perfect and upright man. Now, we understand this, that by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And that's not just the law of Judaism, the Old Testament law of Sinai's covenant, but that's of any law. That's true of the Gentiles' law of conscience. Uh, by the way, before the law ever entered, man operated under the premise of covenant and the premise of conscience. That's how he operated and uh, dealt with God. Uh, well, the same way that Gentiles in this day, though they may not understand or know anything of uh, the law of God, their conscience is still enough to condemn them. Uh, even so, back in this day, a man's conscience was enough to condemn him. So how did he become righteous? Well, same way that Abraham became righteous. He believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Job was an upright man. He was a perfect man, not denoting the idea that he was sinless, but rather denoting the idea that he was mature and complete. He was what God had called and expected him to be. He was, his standing was that of a, a believer, that of a follower of God. Let me say that the lost do not have the benefit of this hedge of protection. There are lots of things that happen in a lost man's life that he can't attribute to God. Uh, there are a lot of things that happen in a lost person's life that in his mind, they just happen by happenstance. Most often it's really caused by the law of sowing and reaping. But they're not things that are necessarily for his good. They're certainly not things that are for God's glory. There's no hedge that Satan has to ask permission to move through. Satan just has the lost man at the liberty of his will, but not Job. Job was a righteous man because he had believed God. Look at verse number 9. Look what it says. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught?" I think it was because of Job's sincerity. You know what Satan was basically saying? He was saying, you know, that Job fella, he, he is a hypocrite. He is self-serving and he does not really love you, uh, God. He is just serving you because it benefits him. Well, what does the Lord say about it? Look back at verse 8. He calls Job a man that feareth God. I believe the Lord of glory knows the hearts of men. Somebody say amen to that. I believe the Lord knew his heart. He knew that Job was sincere. Let me say this. If God knew that Job was insincere, I don't believe He would have ever allowed these things to take place in Job's life. Much in the same way that uh, when uh, the the Lord uh, speaks to Peter and He says, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. In other words, Satan looked at Peter's life, said that Peter, I don't think there's as much to him as he lets on. He looked at Peter and said, I believe there's some cracks in his spiritual armor. I believe I can make a fool of him. I believe I can wreck his life. But the Lord said, uh, Satan hath desired to have you, Peter, that he may sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you. And you know what the Lord said? He said, when, not if thou art converted, he said, when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. Peter withstood the assault of Satan. Why? Because he was sincere in his service to God. He really loved the Lord Jesus. He was not a perfect man. In fact, he was probably the most flawed of all the twelve disciples, other than, I guess, if you want to count Judas. Uh, But Peter was an imperfect man. Peter was a man that was prone uh, to sin and to failure and to falling. He was a man of like passions, like you and me. But he sincerely loved God. And because of that, Satan had a target on his back. Job, in the same way, Job was sincere. I believe also he was a man that served God. The Bible says he escheweth evil. Now, I don't believe there was a church to go to at this day, but I do believe there was an altar to sacrifice at this day. And Job spent time there. He eschewed evil. Because of this, let me just say this. I don't believe God plays favorites, and I don't believe who we are in Christ is relative to what we do. Somebody say amen to that. I don't believe who we are in Christ is relative to what we do. But I do believe, man, I look at the life of the Apostle Paul and I see time and again uh, that he should have been laying dead outside of a city and sometimes he was laying dead outside of a city. And God protected him and preserved him and watched over him time. And again, why? Because Paul was serving God. Paul was serving God. There were certain things Satan wanted to do in his life, just like in Job's life. Before he could ever touch him, he had to go to the Lord and ask his permission. It's interesting to note that the Lord allows Satan to do this in Job's life, and therefore it is God doing it, but using Satan to accomplish. You said, I don't know about that preacher. I don't know if God does that. Well, I think Paul would disagree with you because he talked about a messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him. And yet, you know what the result of it was? He found out that God's grace was sufficient, that God's strength was made perfect in weakness. And he said this, I will therefore glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, you can't tell me God didn't have something to do with Paul's thorn in the flesh. But you also can't tell me that Satan didn't have something to do with it either. Now we're listen. We're in deep waters tonight. I understand that, but just understand this: no matter what Satan seeks to do in your life, uh, two things he's got to ask God's permission first, and number two, uh, God's always a step ahead of him. Now listen, I, I don't doubt that he wants to wreck you, but I believe God wants to perfect you. I, I don't doubt that Satan wants to destroy you, but I believe that that God wants to to purge and perfect you and to draw you closer unto Him. I think Satan found a a hedge that he could not penetrate. So he goes to the Lord and he says, well, he's, he's a hypocrite. He doesn't really love you. And if you put forth your hand against him, in verse 11, touch all that he hath, he'll curse thee to thy face. And so the Lord said this, Satan, behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Now, what does Satan want to do? Satan is not really interested in killing his children. Uh, I think there may be every reason to believe that Satan already had a hold of his children. Uh, But I guess folks could debate that. I don't think Satan really wanted to kill Job's children. I don't think Satan's great interest was destroying all of his livestock. Uh, What was it that Satan was trying to do in his life? Well, notice it again in verse number 11. Put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. You know what he wanted? He wanted to turn Job's heart against God. You know that if Satan can get you to get mad at God, and we all listen, we all have times we get cross and we shouldn't. Somebody say amen to that so I don't feel like I'm unspiritual. We all get cross sometimes. But if Satan can turn, listen, if he if can knock you out of loving God, worshiping God, serving God, going to God's house, if he can do that, He's he's done what he's tried to do in your life. You say, how do I keep him from winning? Well, how did Job keep him from winning? I think that Satan found a hedge he couldn't penetrate, but I think Satan found a heart that he could not provoke. Satan tried several things to turn Job's heart against God. I wonder what it'd take in our lives. I wonder if we went through what Job went through, if at the end of it we would still have the same heart for God, That Job had. What were some things? Well, I want you to notice in verse number 15, he tried by defeating his servants. The Bible says this. Well, look at verse 14. It says, And there came a messenger unto Job, and said, The oxen were plowing, and the asses were feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them, and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. He began by basically disrupting Job's ability to serve, to work, to provide for himself. We look at that and we think, well, the servants died. What a big deal, you know, but if they were your servants, you might feel different about it. (laughs) When it says servants, I don't believe it's talking about butlers. I believe it's referring to hired hands, people that uh, Job had. You might call it this. You might say that Satan walked by and destroyed Job's business one day. These uh, folks were in the field, they were plowing, they were sowing, they were working in the field. And these were the men that enabled Job to be able to live, to be able to function, to be able to have uh, the goods that kept him going in life. And so in one fell swoop, Satan destroys the source of Job's income and livelihood. You know, I've seen that happen sometimes in life, especially in... Uh, You know, I don't know if things are getting better with the economy. I just know they're staying consistently bad. Somebody say amen to that. And uh, at least it's as bad yesterday as it is today. But I remember, you know, when everything tanked. Everybody in this room probably does. And folks was losing jobs. And, and, uh, you know, there was a time when you lost a job, you just go out and get one, you know. And it went through a period of time. And I guess to some degree it's still this way where if you had a job, you had something worth paying attention to. Because you had a source and a means to earn income. And I've seen people struggle under that. Listen, there's two kinds of Christians in life. There's the kinds, well, actually, there's three kinds. There's kinds that serve God all the time. I want to be the kind of Christian that serves God all the time. But I found this in those that fall out of the way. There seems to be two different kinds. There are some uh, that they cannot bear prosperity. When things start to go good, when things... I mean, listen, if their life is in pieces, they're at the church house, they're praying, they're with God's people. But the second that things get good, they're gone. They're in the wind. You don't see them anymore. Uh, We might call those uh, foul weather Christians. It has to be foul weather for them to be serving God. But then there's some that when everything's going well... Uh, You know, they're happy to go and serve God and thank Him for the things that are going well. But when things go sideways on them, then all of a sudden God got knocked off of His throne. All of a sudden the Bible isn't true. All of a sudden God's people don't care. All of a sudden prayer don't work. And they're out, neighbor. I mean, they're out. They're not just a little out. They're way out. You might call those fair weather Christians. And I've seen many of those come into hard times, difficult things. You know, that's when faith really works, right? Like, you know, when that's when it matters, You understand, right? I I mean, I, I, I don't want to degrade faith, okay? So listen carefully to what I'm about. I'm not trying to liken faith to a spare tire. But that's like saying my spare tire is good and everything except it's got a hole in it. It rides good in the trunk. It won't go on the car, but it rides good in the trunk. When things go wrong, that's not when you don't need faith. That's when you need faith all the more. When things go wrong, that's not the time to run from God. That's time to run to God when things go wrong. In the midst of his sufferings, I mean, his livelihood is cut off in a moment. Satan tried it by defeating his servants. He tried it in verses 16 and 17 by devouring his stock. It says this, while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. I've never had a day like that, but I've had a few I felt like were close. Somebody say amen to that. How would Job even claim that on insurance, you know? The fire of God fell and destroyed all my sheep. I mean, how do you even claim that? Like anyone's going to believe that. But there it happened to him. And in a moment, not only his ability to make money, his ability to survive, his ability to be independent, his ability to do for himself is cut off. But now what he had in the bank, what he had in the barn is burned up in a moment. Let me say I've seen this happen with sickness in people's lives, man. Talking about people that are healthy people that have lived their whole lives, they could do for themselves, they could take care of themselves, they didn't let anybody do for them. And then in a moment, sickness falls on their life. And not only are they too sick to work, but then the doctors eat up every bit of their living. And all of a sudden, people that have lived and done for themselves their whole life, now they're at the poverty level. They're having to pray and beg God for the next meal. I've seen a lot of them get angry and get bitter towards God and turn away. That's what Satan was trying to do. In his life, he tried it by defeating his servants and devouring his stock. Look at verse 18, 19, it says this, while he was yet speaking. There came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young men and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Let me tell you something. I've seen a lot of people that could withstand When God laid him in a sick bed, I've seen a lot of people that could withstand when God took away the financial security. But Job stood even when his children were took from him. That's tough. I'm just being honest with you. I could try to stand up here and be real spiritual and tell you how easy it is. Tell you how I'd never be angry at God if that happened to me. But I don't know. I trust. I hope. I pray that God would give me the strength. I know he'd be faithful. I pray and hope that I'd be faithful. But I'll tell you this, we better be careful about being too judgmental if we've not stood where Job stood. There's a lot of ways for your kids to be took away. You know, I mean, they don't have to die. Of course, that's horrible and awful and tragic, and people that that deal with that, I can't imagine the the soul-crushing pain that that must be. But there's folks in this room that Satan's got a hold of their kids and took them away. What are you going to do when that happens? You understand that it's not just your children. I mean, Satan may have a plan for their life, but that's not the end game. What Satan's trying to do is get you to turn around and shake your fist at God. That's what he's trying to get you to do. He's trying to get you to look towards heaven and say, God, why'd you do this to me? God, how dare you? They were mine. Well, you know, they were never yours. They were always God's. God had a plan in all this for Job. I don't think Job understood it, but I think he understood God enough to know God had a plan. And notice what his response is in verse number 20. Then Job, then, man, you talk about a loaded word, then, then, after what? Well, after his his servants had been killed and his camels and his sheep and his oxen had been slain and his children had died, then, after all of that happened, Satan had unleashed all the fury of hell against Job to try to get him to turn against God. What Job do, then. Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Let me say this, there is most definitely a deliberate act of the will that Job expresses when he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. But I think he expressed that deliberate act of the will because he understood the declarative truth that he was also uttering. You understand that God's goodness is not connected to your opinion of God's goodness. (laughs) You could hate God, God would still be good. You could love God, God would still be good. It's interesting that he does not say like the psalmist, bless the Lord, O my soul. And he does not say like the psalmist in another place, I will bless the Lord. But rather, Job just issues and utters a declarative statement, blessed be the name of the Lord. We use that statement, bless, that word bless so often as a, as a verb. But Job used it as an adjective. And he says the Lord's name is still Blessed. God hasn't changed. Job says, everything's changed for me. Nothing today is the same as it was yesterday. There's folks in this room never thought they'd be sitting where they're sitting right now. Talking about in your life. You never thought that. You never expected. You didn't plan for that. But the Lord's name is still blessed today. As it was back when you had all the plans. <laughs> you know, I... I. I God has just about broke me of making plans. Somebody say amen to that. Just about. You get all these plans, you know. God just sits back and laughs. How are you going to feel about God when things don't work out? How are you going to feel about God when things don't work out the way that you have planned for them to work out? I promise you, in all of Job's planning, he never planned for a day when his servants would die, when his... Stock would die when his children would be took free. Never planned for that. But here he is. What's he going to do? Well, he anchors his soul in the one thing that cannot change. He knows God can't change. Nothing else in his life makes sense now. You understand that? You know, we really put Bible characters on a pedestal, don't we? They're not like us, right? They're exactly like us. It hurt just as much for Job as it would hurt for you and me. (laughs) In fact, if anything, it was probably harder, for we know more of God now than he would have known then. Things didn't make sense. Job wasn't happy about it. But he understood it doesn't matter what has changed, God cannot change. And if God was good yesterday, then then the, the logical truth must be that God is still good today. He's not saying, I will bless the Lord. I think Job knew whether he would or wouldn't didn't matter. He knew the Lord is blessed. And he's just as blessed today as he was then. I'd say that Satan found a heart that he couldn't provoke when he came to Job's house. What happens? Things get better, right? No, (laughs) things don't get better. In fact, they get exponentially worse in Job's life. You say, well, good, Job's done his suffering. It's all smooth sailing now. No, things just go from bad to worse. Out of the frying pan into the fire he goes. Look what happens in chapter number two. Again, there was a day. I bet Job, if he could have known what was going on, if he could have read this story of his life at this time in his life, he would have grown to hate the words again, (laughs) again, another Again, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that, "...feareth God, and escheweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause." You know what that is? That's God's I told you so moment. He's saying, go ahead and look at him. He still loves me. He's still holding strong. Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now. And touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord, and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes." Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this did did not Job sin with his lips. What's Satan trying to do now? Well, at first, he's trying to destroy Job's love for God. He's trying to get him to turn his heart against God. But now we might say this, that Satan is trying to attack his faith in God, his trust in God, or he is trying to persuade his hope away from the Lord. You know, if Satan can't convince us that God doesn't love us, the next step is for him to try to convince us that God will fail us. And we have a choice to make. Satan began to inflict upon Job several things in his life that would lead him to believe that God had given up on him. Number one, I want you to note the attacks on his family. He attacks and slays his children. But then he turns to Job's wife. Now, I think Job's wife is the most misunderstood people in the entire Word of God. Because as we look at Job's wife, there is a tendency... Uh, to look at her with disdain, and to look at her with contempt. It almost drips of sarcasm when she says, "'Dost thou still retain thine integrity, curse God, and die?' But I don't believe that when Job rebukes her, he is rebuking her for being ignorant, or for being calloused, or for hating God. But rather, I think when Job's wife said this, I think she meant it, and meant it very literally." The reason that I believe that is because the only reason that this was taking place in Job's life... There are two reasons. One, Satan did not desire to kill Job. He desired to destroy his spiritual life. Number two, God allowed this because God planned on bringing him through this. If Job had robbed God of the glory that he would get at the end of the book of Job then I don't believe God would have stomach enough to put Job through what he was going through. It'll be a good day in our life when we realize that God takes no pleasure in our suffering. God gets a lot of glory out of our suffering, but God takes no pleasure in our suffering. I don't know how they knew it. I don't know how they understood it. I don't know if they talked about it. Maybe they knew and understood enough about God that Job said, hey, listen, I don't understand this, but I know God loves me and I know it's going to be for His glory. And so I'm going to continue to trust God. If I quit trusting God, honey, there might be a chance that I'd just lay down and die. And maybe his wife looked at him with compassion and said, it's just not worth it. God's not going to come through for you, Job. Just go ahead and lay down and die. I don't believe he was rebuking her for her lack of uh, of common sense. I believe that he was rebuking her for her lack of faith. I believe she believed this would happen. And let me say this, I agree with her. I believe if Job had cursed God, this would be the end right here of the story of Job. But he didn't. He didn't. But here is Job, and the people that are closest to him are saying, Job, God's going to fail you. God's going to fail you. God's not going to come through for you. How did Job respond? Well, I want you to notice not only the attacks on his family, but the assault on his flesh. I want you to listen carefully to my next statement. When we get sick, Satan takes advantage of it. Let me say it again. I really want you to get it. When we get sick, Satan takes advantage of it. It's not a sin to get sick. Somebody say amen to that. Or say, <laughs> one of the two. It's not a sin to get sick. And, also, and And listen, sickness is not always the result of sin. I believe sometimes it can be. But I believe that oftentimes it's, it's due to germs. Somebody say amen to that. But when you get sick, Satan will try to take advantage of that. What happened in Job's life? Well, the Bible says this, that Satan went forth, verse 7, from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. Satan had no interest in the destruction of Job's flesh, but he did have uh, he he did have an interest in the in taking advantage of job's flesh. I've seen people when they get down I've seen people get sick and feel bad and do things I would have never guessed they would have done and I'm not making excuses for those people. I'm not trying to say it's okay if you get sick and don't feel good you don't have to serve and love God that's not what I'm saying but what I am saying is this that oftentimes Satan will exploit those situations in our life. Could he cause enough sickness and pain in Job's life to turn him against God? We'll see here in a moment. I want you to notice a third thing. Not only through the attacks of his family and the assault on his flesh, but look over chapter 4 at the accusation of his friends. Now, Job has uh, three friends that, that come and talk to him. He actually has four, but three of them show up at one time. And they sit down and they they do nothing. Verse number 13 of chapter 2 says, So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Now, that was the last helpful thing that Job's three friends did for it. Because in chapter number 3, they begin to speak to him about why he is dealing with these problems. In chapter number 4, a man by the name of Eliphaz says this, To Job in verse number seven, remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent or where were the righteous cut off, even as I have seen they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same by the blast of God, they perish and by the breath of his nostrils are they consumed. You know what they were saying to Job, and they basically hold this same argument throughout the entire book of Job. There's times they stray a little and veer a little bit, but the basic thrust of their argument is, Job, you wouldn't be dealing with this if you hadn't brought it on yourself. And Job says, well, what have I done? And they say, well, I don't know, but you must have done something. (laughs) And over and over and over again, they use his circumstances to beat him down. Let me say that it's a good friend that will show us sin in our lives. It's a good friend that will show us if we have sin in our lives. But it's a pitiful friend that uses our circumstances to try to beat us down. That's no friend at all. The Lord rebukes Job's friends at the end of the book of Job. And I'll be honest, after you read 42 chapters of Job's story, you're kind of hoping for it. (laughs) Because of the way they behave. But let me say, so often even we do that to people. We don't say it to them, but we think it. Come on now. We think, well, they wouldn't be dealing with that. You know, you know what they're saying? Listen now. He made his bed. Now he can lie in it. Well, that may be true for a lot of people. But sometimes you don't know what went into the making up of their bed. And you don't know what happened in their life. You say, Preacher, you're making excuses. No, I'm I'm leaving it to the judge of all the earth to do right. And he's capable and able. How did Job respond? Would this shake his hope and his faith? His his wife says, Job, God is going to fail you. You might as well go ahead and curse him and die. His flesh is screaming to him, you can't handle this. You can't take this. You're going to die. And his friends look to him and say, Job, you're going to die because you're to blame for all this. How does he respond? I'm, you don't have to turn. There's just a few verses. But in chapter 19, verse 25 and 26, Job says this. You know it quite well, I'm sure. He said, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. He believed that God would not fail. He believed that God would stand at the latter day upon the earth, that God had not forgotten about him, that God had not left him alone, that God still had an interest in his life. And notice what he says in chapter 23 and verse 8. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there and backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. Job is saying this. I can't see him with my sight. So I'm going to have to see him by faith. And he says, but he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. You know what he's saying? He's saying this. I can't find God if he doesn't want to be found. But God can always find me when it's time to be found. When God wants to hide himself from me, he's able to do it. He must have a purpose in it. Because if he wanted to find me, he knows exactly where I'm at. Job says this, I'm going to quit trying to work it out. And I'm going to trust him who's working on it and working it out. You know, that's really the sweet rest and resignation that faith brings us. Say, I, I, I can't do it, so I'm going to quit trying. But I'm going to trust the one that's able. Job says, I've spent 20 chapters trying to find him and I've come up empty. But he knows exactly where I sit tonight. And when it's time to find me, he'll come and find me. We find in Job a hope that Satan couldn't persuade. Despite his greatest efforts, Job said, I'm going to trust God. Even when I don't feel like trusting God, even when I can't find God, I'm going to trust him. Because he's still the same today as he was for all these years in my life. Turn to chapter 42 with me. I want you to notice one final thing. Take the time to read the book of Job. You'll be helped by it. Listen, don't, the only way you'll get help from the book of Job is if you just put your name where it says Job, say your name. And you'd be amazed how much help you'll get from that. If you'll try to answer things the way Job tried to answer them. If you'll let God talk to you the way he talked to Job, you'd be amazed how it'd help you sometimes. What happens in chapter 42? Well, the Lord shows up a few chapters earlier, and He sets everybody in their place. One of these days, the Lord's going to show up, and He's going to set everybody in their place. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just letting you know that's coming. And all things will be made right and be made manifest in His eyes. And then Job, after the Lord pauses for a moment, Job says something in verse 1 of chapter 42. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not, things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job hath. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams, Go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. My servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, in that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right like my servant Job. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite went and did according as the Lord commanded them. The Lord also, I like this, accepted Job. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job. When he prayed for his friends, also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came there unto him all his brethren and all his sisters and all they that had been of his acquaintance before and did eat bread with him in his house. And they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money and every one an earring of gold. You know, Thanksgiving never turns out that way around my house. Amen. Amen. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. I'd say that Satan came by Job's house and he found a hedge he couldn't penetrate. And even when God allowed him in that hedge, he found a heart that he couldn't provoke and a hope that he couldn't persuade. But you know, Job leaves after, or Satan leaves after chapter 2. Can I give you a convicting thought the Lord brought to my mind just then? Is that the Lord, uh, or the, the friends, the so-called friends of Job carried on the work of Satan far longer than Satan ever did in Job's life. God help us to not be the instruments of Satan. Satan, Listen, Satan left the picture in chapter 2. But he had a few good, good Christians that could rub Job's nose in the dirt and carry it on. Satan's been long gone. But the Lord shows up finally at the end of the book. And Satan finds that there is a harvest that he cannot prevent in Job's life. I don't believe Satan had this plan. (laughs) But I believe the Lord had this plan before the foundations of the world. Job wound up the better for it. Now listen, either we believe Romans 8.28 or we might as well tear it out of our Bible and quit quoting it. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Job is living proof of that. You and I are living proof of that. I'm not asking you to understand that. I'm just asking you to believe that. I'm not asking you to work everything out with it. The Lord may grace you to be able to work a lot out about it, but I've got a suspicion you'll never work all of it out, at least not on this side of glory. But you can still believe it and enjoy and reap the benefits of it. Because at the end of the day, Satan thought he had control in Job's life. What he didn't reckon is that the Lord had control of him and was using him to purge and perfect his servant and to bring about something in his life that was far better than what he had before. I don't know what Job would have said on that day. But I know that Job would have said on this day that we sit here tonight. He would have said, I don't know that I would have asked for it, but I'm sure glad God gave it. I don't know that I would have planned for it, but I'm sure glad that God had a plan in it. And as I've trusted the Lord, I'm the better for it. Whatever you're going through, don't turn your heart against God or else Satan's won. It's over. It's done. You get bittered up and mad against God, it's done, it's over. Don't allow your hope to be persuaded. If God was counted faithful uh, uh, two weeks ago, a month ago, a year ago, that's the same God that's still God over your circumstances tonight. Because I promise you, there is a harvest that Satan cannot prevent in your life. may not be a physical, a monetary one like it is for Job. But you can believe that God has a plan and a purpose in what you're struggling with and going through. And if you'll trust him, he'll be for your good and for his glory.